Will artificial intelligence replace occupational therapy? There is no doubt that this technology will transform healthcare, and it will surely accelerate the existing move towards healthcare taking place at the home. To help us wrap our minds around this transformation, we are reviewing an article that explores three technologies, artificial intelligence, blockchain, and wearables. Specifically, the article explores how such technologies are used in chronic disease management. The authors also introduce a patient-centered management framework based on AI, and they close out the article discussing the potential shortcomings of this new paradigm. After we review the article, we'll welcome a guest whose career shows how OT is involved in this transformation of healthcare. Sarah Breskowitz, OTRL, is a clinical advisor at Sensi AI, where she is helping to pioneer AI's role in home care. She and I will discuss the implications of this research, including how AI is best seen as a tool and an opportunity rather than a threat. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this big topic of OT and AI, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may count as continuing education for you. You are probably listening to this podcast on a free podcast platform, but to gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. To gain CEU credit, you will just have to log in afterwards, take a test, and we will generate a certificate for your time today. But bearing in mind that this could count as a continuing education course, I wanted to state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first learning objective is that you will be able to identify possibilities for how OTs can begin incorporating data from wearables into treatment. Our second learning objective is you will be able to recognize how AI may be utilized to support assessment by occupational therapists. So let's begin by looking at our journal article, and then we'll bring on Sarah to discuss how this research could play out in your practice. So the article that we are looking at today is called The Integration of Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain, and Wearable Technology for Chronic Disease Management a new paradigm in smart healthcare. The article comes to us from the journal Current Medical Science, and it was published in the year 2021. So the article begins by discussing the current challenges of chronic disease management. Chronic disease is now the dominant cause of morbidity and mortality worldwide. For the sake of this article, these conditions are grouped into four categories— first cardiovascular disease, second pulmonary disease, third diabetes, and four conditions requiring gross motor rehab. The traditional model of managing these conditions is based on the model of diagnosis, then treatment, then rehab, then follow-up. But there are multiple problems related to this traditional chronic disease treatment strategy. Some of the issues that the authors raise are a short management radius, 
high manual dependence, blurred responsibility, and privacy concerns. They also bring up that many patients still do not have a sense of access to their information, making it difficult for them to truly engage in self-management. And since care providers do not have access to long-term monitoring data often, they fail to follow up with patients in a timely manner. This in turn leads to diagnostic failure and unsynchronized treatment. So after they introduce this big global challenge, they talk about the potential of AI, blockchain, and wearables for chronic disease management. In our current reality, healthcare takes place primarily at hospitals and in clinics. Healthcare itself also tends to be reactive to major health events rather than focused on preventative care. When patients do see their providers, much of the time is spent by clinicians assessing the status of their patient's health. Thus, patients wind up as passive participants in their own treatments. This potential combination of AI, wearables, and blockchain now presents the opportunity for patients' health status information to be accessed continually and in real time. This paradigm truly centers care around the patient. Much of the data can now be collected in the home setting. This increased efficiency opens the possibilities for our treatments to be much more preventative and proactive in nature, focusing on early warning signs of health deterioration. So let's quickly look at these three technologies, beginning with wearables. So wearables allow for the continuous monitoring of key health metrics like blood glucose, blood pressure, heart rate, blood oxygen, temperature, respiration, and posture. There are some big players in this game like Apple Watch and Whoop, but there are also lots of other smaller companies that have wearables targeted at really specific metrics. Looking at artificial intelligence, AI can analyze large volumes of health data. Deep learning of data from wearables can alert people to their individual risk factors, and the data can help guide treatments. On the population level, sophisticated diagnostic and treatment models become possible. Large data sets along with AI also create possibilities for creating something called digital twins. I had to do a lot of extra reading about this term, but it essentially involves creating a digital model to test changes before implementing such changes in real life. That is definitely a term I encourage you to Google and try to wrap your mind around with some further reading. And the last technology that they focus on is blockchain. So how do we share and analyze large amounts of data while protecting privacy? Blockchain presents an option. It acts as a shared ledger as it protects privacy while providing the ability to audit health data. This is another innovation that I encourage you to read about. There's lots of resources online, and it's definitely worth wrapping your mind around this innovation. So from here, the authors head into two sections, one where they put forth their model of how these three technologies could be used together, and second, where they kind of spell out the practical implications of how these technologies can be used and are being used. So let's begin by looking at this practice model. So the authors put forth a hypothetical process of how wearables, AI, and blockchain could be used together to create individualized treatment plans while continuously improving the relevant algorithm models. 
This is illustrated in the article in a nice graphic, which I encourage you to Google and just look at how they laid this out. But for our purposes on this podcast, the graphic is kind of presented in like a cycle that begins with the collection of individual healthcare data. From there, it goes to cloud big data model training. From there, it goes to suggestions from the model related to diagnosis and treatment, and then finally to this individual treatment scheme. And the whole time in the center, there's a cycle of the blockchain being used to protect data privacy. Okay, so next we head into the section on the practical applications in the monitoring and management of chronic diseases. In this section, the authors present current applications of digital health as well as potential future directions that digital health could take. This is where the authors go really in-depth into studies that have been done in each area. For the sake of this review in our podcast, I am going to stay really high level here, and I'm going to focus on sharing information related to the wearables in each category, as these are currently what we'll most likely encounter in our current traditional OT work. In our show notes, I'll link to examples of the technologies that the authors discuss. These links are from my own research and were not shared in the article. So the authors group their findings on practical implications into the four categories of chronic disease that we discussed in the beginning. So we're going to begin with one, cardiovascular diseases. The use of AI in the diagnosis and treatment of cardiovascular diseases has been on the rise. Its use has already been improving the quality and cost effectiveness of care. It has also improved mortality rates among patients with cardiovascular diseases. Here are some of the examples of the technologies that are being employed, specifically the wearables. ECG monitors, cardioverter defibrillators, and it also mentions handheld echocardiograms. It looks like a wearable echocardiogram is on the horizon. Next, our second broad category is pulmonary diseases. Wearable devices that allow uninterrupted assessments of lung conditions in the home are now available. AI algorithms can already give an accurate assessment of conditions like COPD, pneumonia, and chronic asthma. Machine learning also has the potential to help children with asthma as well as improve the management of sleep apnea. Some of the wearables are being used to track breath sounds, oxygen saturation, and also to detect airborne aerosols associated with lung disease like pollution or COVID-19. The third big category is diabetes. Wearables already help patients monitor their blood glucose levels, and we're seeing the developing use of AI to use this data to control their insulin pumps. At the time of this writing, the authors were really excited about a smart contact lens, which Google was developing for glucose monitoring. That particular venture actually failed, but many continuous glucose monitoring options have come to market. And rumor has it that Apple is working on a non-invasive monitor for its Apple Watch. In our show notes, I'll share some of the currently available continuous glucose monitors. And the last big category that they talk about is chronic conditions requiring gross motor rehab. In this category, the most readily available wearables at this time seem to be ones geared towards improving posture and preventing falls. But the article mentions multiple applications for upper and lower extremity rehab, which are currently being explored. So like I said, some of the most common wearables are posture monitors and correctors and wearables for fall prevention and detection. 
So from here, the authors close out by talking about some of the ethical risks of this technology. Although these technologies have already improved global health and have great potential to continue to do so, they are also prone to ethical risks, including security and accuracy of data, interpretability of data may be complex and beyond patients' understanding, cost may limit equitable access, and interoperability limitations from different systems may limit efficiency and security. At the end of the day, patients' data is collected according to algorithm designs, the rules of which are created by humans. And as a consequence, ethical and moral constraints of AI are still based on human constraints. AI is still a tool, and thus the creators of AI remain ethically accountable. Okay, that wraps up our article review. I really enjoyed this article as it paints this expansive picture of digital health opportunities. But I also left it wanting to know, what exactly does this mean for our OT practices? And I am so happy that I found the perfect guest to discuss this. Sarah Breskowitz has a master's in occupational therapy from Washington University in St. Louis. She has been practicing OT for eight years. Her direct patient care experience has been primarily in inpatient neuro rehab, specializing in stroke and TBI populations. She has worked in top-tier institutions, including the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago and St. David's Rehabilitation Hospital in Austin, Texas. Sarah has also been involved as a clinical researcher on projects targeting Parkinson's disease and stroke recovery. She transitioned her clinical work into the health technology industry in late 2022, joining the startup company Sensi AI, where she currently works as a clinical advisor. In this role, she consults with various stakeholders within the home care industry in supporting care agencies and using audio-based artificial intelligence to optimize care service delivery for older adults and individuals with disabilities. Sarah has a passion for integrating new technologies within clinical practice and is a strong advocate for NEOTs seeking to expand their practice into non-traditional spaces. I also want to note that Sarah and I do talk a little bit about her work at Sensi AI, but I wanted to make it clear that Sarah is on our podcast representing herself, not as a representative of the company. So without further ado, I'm really excited to patch Sarah into this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. It's great to have you. Uh, likewise, Sarah, I'm always open to opportunities to talk OT, especially with other Sarahs. Yes. I am so thankful that you are here this morning. Reading this article got my mind spinning about so many details, but it definitely left me wanting as far as what is this really going to look like for OTs? What will our career paths look like? What will traditional practice look like? And I'm so thankful I found you because to me, you're a pioneer in this space, one of the first of us to work for a company that's employing AI. So I just cannot wait to dive in today. But before we get there, I want to hear a little bit about you and about how you first found OT. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm one of those OTs that discovered the profession by way of physical therapy. <laughs> I uh, was majoring in exercise physiology with the intent to apply to physical therapy school. And it was about the start of my senior year in college. I was at the University of Iowa. I actually began working as a caregiver through a home care agency. 
And it was at that same time that I was enrolled in a health promotion course, learning about the six dimensions of wellness, just kind of how to look at health and wellness outside of just the physical realm. And when I was meeting with my academic advisor, I was telling her, you know, I love being a caregiver. I really love supporting clients in their daily routines. And I'm loving learning about the holistic view of health and wellness. And, you know, she listened to me and she said at the end, have you ever thought of occupational therapy? I think that would be a really good career path for you. And as she explained OT more, I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of it, especially with its close proximity to physical therapy. I was shadowing in hospitals and clinics, and I didn't know what OT was. So as I researched it, it became clear to me that this really was a better fit for my worldview and the way that I wanted to support others and engaging in things that were meaningful to them. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an occupational therapist now. What I didn't realize was that the coursework for OT and PT is a little bit different. I'd say PT kind of skews more biomechanical, there's physics, kind of those hard sciences where OT does have the hard sciences, but also a much more cognitive and developmental angle to it. So I took a gap year to kind of tighten up that coursework and, you know, kept researching about OT and shadowing and the rest is history. I got into the program with Washington University in St. Louis, got my master's, and here I am today. That's awesome. So interesting to me. I think as a profession, we're always thinking that we have this like marketing problem, essentially, that people don't know what OT is. But so often you hear these stories of people like learn about OT in a really simple way like you did, and they it clicks, they get it. And you're like, okay, I'm going to change the course of my life. I guess that means to me, like, there is something about it that really clicks with people. And I hope as a profession, we can like dial that in. And maybe we're not as far off as we think in describing our skill set. And when I think about the OT skill set, it lends so well to this new world of technology and AI. And I'm so curious, how did you get from this path to OT? OT school that we all went through to now being this pioneer in this AI company. You make a really excellent point. I can definitely say that when I started out as an OT, I did not envision myself working in the tech industry. <laughs> but, you know, to give a little background of where I started, I spent most of my clinical work in direct patient care, really working in inpatient neurorehabilitation settings. There were a few things that led me to transition out of direct patient care and kind of look at opportunities within the tech space. One of those being I moved to Austin, Texas in 2019 in an effort to get out of the brutal Chicago winters and just find better work-life balance. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Austin, it's a technology hub. And I can honestly say that there is just this vibrant energy about it when you come here. You really kind of get caught up in like the startup energy and the new ideas that are here. So I knew right away that I kind of had my interest peaked in that tech space and what opportunities could be out there. Pair that sentiment within the year 2020, where I found myself at an all-time low from a mental bandwidth perspective. I mean, I feel like a lot of clinicians, you know, with the year 2020 have similar feelings. For me, that meant I was treating on a COVID unit. I was also kind of trying to navigate this ever-changing political climate as a person of color coming in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd that also happened to have a ripple effect into the hospital setting. 
uh, that I was working in. So it was challenging from that degree. And then to cap off that year, I was dealing with a family health event that actually led me to spending the last two months kind of isolated in a rehab hospital, helping my loved one recover. So to say the least, I was pretty burnt out by the end of that year. And that really is what ignited my research into looking at what are some perhaps non-traditional spaces that an OT could fill. You know, I there's a part of me that felt like, you know, is OT even the right career path for me? But honestly, as I started looking at the tech industry and these health tech startups, it honestly made me realize that OT is the right path for me. Maybe I just need to find a different space to enact my practice and, you know, get energized again. So as you're exploring these different career paths, are you identifying specific companies? Are you looking at positions that are asking for OTs? What were some of the logistics? I think so many people will relate to your story of burnout, but not everyone finds this next step like you did. What was the magic there that happened for you? For me, I was really looking at something that still had one foot in a clinical realm because I didn't want to stray too far from, you know, what I know as a therapist and really be able to still draw upon those skills. So I was really targeting roles that called for a clinical component to it. And when I found Sensi, what I really liked about them as a company is that their mission is really to use artificial intelligence to support the home care industry. We know that the home care industry has been in need of an assist in a, in a big way for some time with the shortage of caregivers, the increasing aging population that we have. So I liked how they were not seeking to replace in-person care, but more providing a tool that can help agencies use data to optimize care and have evidence-based decision-making. So it still was very, you know, care clinically driven, but just marrying clinical with technology, which is, you know, ultimately what I was looking for. The role of clinical advisor itself, you know, in addition to needing that clinical component and the analytical data side, the company really also, you know, said that they're looking for someone from a wide variety of backgrounds. So there was this draw for wanting clinical representation in the job description that wasn't just physician or nurse, but expanded into the therapy realm too, which I thought was pretty unique. And when I started there, I found that I was actually in good company. There were PTs, OTs, nurses, and social workers also working there at the time. So it was really neat. That's definitely a theme when we've talked to OTs who have transitioned into tech, that these tech companies are actively looking for a skill set. They're realizing the value that someone who has the clinical experience can bring and kind of helps balance out all the tech side of the workforce. So Sensi AI, I would love to hear a little bit about how they use artificial intelligence, and then your specific role as clinical advisor. And I'd love to add in too, I found Sensi AI because we did this episode on fall prevention and the outcomes for what we've been doing historically were not stellar. And so as part of that episode, we were looking at the new innovations happening and I found this company and then followed them on LinkedIn, and then LinkedIn recommended you to me. So that's, I love that 
connection to our previous episode and I guess a testament to how well technology does that recommendations too. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Well, and that's kind of our, our model at Sensi. It is to detect, predict, and then prevent exacerbating health issues and by using data to help that. So just to kind of get into how Sensi does that is we have an audio-based artificial intelligence technology that helps our system identify care-related occurrences that happen in a person's home. So on a very basic level, we have data pods that are strategically placed within the home where a senior might frequent. That's often like the bedroom, the bathroom, maybe a living room or kitchen. The artificial intelligence uses natural language processing to help isolate it, isolate these care-related events. And, you know, it's further filtered, analyzed, categorized in this HIPAA-compliant cloud that the data ultimately will get funneled onto a dashboard for a care agency to view. And, you know, what that dashboard does is it will capture those care-related instances, whether that be like a caregiver-client interaction, sometimes it's going to be performance or health-based, think along the lines of like activity engagement or health status. A good example would be if a client is expressing perhaps having burning with urination or new urgency and frequency with trips to the bathroom, then that will trigger the AI to capture that moment. And if it becomes a recurring event, the system might highlight a pattern or reveal a trend. You know, it will notify the agency that perhaps a possible UTI might be occurring. So it's in this way that the AI is supporting the agencies in detecting a potential issue, helping to, you know, predict the next steps with the informed decision making. If it is a possible UTI, let's go get a urinalysis. Let's help the client contact their physician for further treatment. And then ultimately, you're preventing or mitigating and exacerbating a health issue by having that early detection and intervention. As the clinical advisor, where I kind of step in is I'm supporting the care agencies in learning how to use the product and to really think critically about the data that they receive so that they can take meaningful actions for their clients. I'd say the skills I've gained in as, as an OT, especially in a clinical environment, have really supported me in this new role. A model and theory that I love is the PEO, person environment occupation. I think that's such the core of our OT practice. And so I think because I have a really good understanding of the interplay between all those factors, I can help you know these care agencies and their care managers really unpack a situation and think about what are those intrinsic, extrinsic barriers and supports that can really guide them in the critical thinking process and help them make meaningful actions out of the data that they're seeing. I would say the other two ways where I feel like my background in OT has really been helpful is just supporting them in really adopting the product into their workflow, um, maximizing their use out of it. It kind of mimics that eval intervention you know, maintenance process that we go through as OTs. I'm constantly assessing agency stage of readiness for integrating this technology and identifying strategies to help them progress along that process of adoption and using it. Each agency comes into this process at a different stage of preparedness and their flow along the customer journey is not always linear. So again, being that problem solver that I am as an OT, I'm constantly, again, looking at what are the barriers? What are the supports that are going to really allow this um, 
allow me to help them get the most out of the the product that they have. And then finally, the the last component is there's a consultative aspect to it too within my own company. So I'm working with a lot of non-clinical teams who maybe aren't as well versed in the care industry space. So I can really support my teams in understanding the nuances of the industry. Since I'm actively involved with the care managers and the agencies, I can also help you know, cross-functional teams ensure that our technology is aligned with the needs of our agencies and the clients they service. It's almost like you're like a casebook example of how in OT school we talk about how the OT process can be applied to groups and organizations. And it sounds like you're actively doing that in a couple different settings, both internally and externally. I'm really curious, like the first three months when you started, did that just feel really natural transitioning from working with individuals to groups? Or what was that learning curve like for you? There definitely was a learning curve. And I feel like a lot of it was me educating myself on the tech space and how it operates, because it's very different from the hospital space, which is really steeped in like process and routine and regimen. I think what helped me was that I've also done some work in clinical research, which is a little like operates in a tech space in terms of I'm you know not always working with clinicians when you're in research and now you know I'm working with data scientists and engineers and product managers so I think just learning how to navigate a new language within this industry and you know inform myself of you know what's happening and taking notes and meeting people to learn as much as I can really helped me in those first 3 months I think set me up for success and again leaning heavily on my experience and in interdisciplinary work and having to communicate and change my mode of communication, that I think helped me in that process of learning and getting up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like those core skills are there and really any job, new job you take, there's going to be like some learning on top of those core skills that happens. And I love hearing how you were able to do that. Turning to our article, I feel like your work, again, is just an example of what we were reading about in this article where it talks so much about the possibilities behind AI and your company is a really unique example of that, but also talked more expansively about all of the different kinds of opportunities that are out there when you combine AI and wearables and blockchain. And I'm curious from your perspective in this tech hub and living this day-to-day, what were your, I guess, first impressions of the article? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this article. And I think any one of these technologies, you know, wearables, AI, blockchain could be a whole article within themselves. (laughs) So I guess my my first takeaway was that these technologies are really going to allow the individual to be a more active participant in the self-management process when it comes to chronic diseases. And I see the, the wearables helping with information gathering because it can be continuous monitoring, remote monitoring, the AI helping with the interpretation of that information, and then the blockchain being the vehicle for sharing that information with relative relevant stakeholders and really like completing that loop. The other two points I kind of took away were You know, by doing this, we can really shift our healthcare model to being more preventative because, again, now we can hopefully detect issues earlier, intervene earlier, and 
ultimately in the long term optimize service delivery. And then the final thing, which wasn't specifically mentioned in the article, but I think OTs are well positioned to be a part of that whole process, <laughs> especially when it comes to the service delivery and really empowering our clients to be those active participants. I think that this technology creates a lot of great tools in our toolbox as clinicians and our clients' toolboxes to help with those self-management efforts. Yeah, yeah. I think the both the article and I'm thinking about your company too, really positions AI as a tool. We're not talking about AI taking over at this point. It's really a tool for us to leverage to improve all kinds of the healthcare process. Something I was curious about as I was reading was it talked about these potential benefits of AI. And I was curious in your work at Sensi, are you seeing those benefits or what what benefits are you seeing your clients have from using this tool? A big benefit I see is that it's extending their reach in a few different ways. One being, you know, not every individual can afford to have round-the-clock care or the amount of care that they need. So having this audio-based AI system with Sensi is allowing the care team to now have that virtual remote support when they aren't there in the home and when they can't be there in the home. Or, you know, the feedback they get might allow them to better position that care throughout the day or really give more credence to being saying, okay, we do need more care. How can we make this happen? The other, you know, thing I see that since he's been able to do with AI and the whole system is to give that safety net to the clients that are in the other end of it and knowing that the care agency and the care team have data to really inform the decisions that are being made. There's a platform within our system that allows the agency to share that information with the client themselves to, again, reinforce the client being an active participant in that process, in making decisions, in learning more about themselves. Yeah, I love thinking about how tools like this will maybe... I want to say make our care more equitable, maybe give more access to different levels of care, like for you guys providing that 24 around, not replacing a person, but having a 24 hour around the clock tool. But then that also makes me think of the challenges and the article talked about like privacy probably is the big one. And I guess errors and computation. What from your position are those the challenges you see? Are there more to add on it? Or is that kind of the core challenges that you and your company are thinking about? I think those are the two big core challenges. I think, you know, there's always going to be this concern when you're talking about data and health information of privacy and how are we maintaining that? How are we respecting that? And so, you know, I see that this industry as a whole will really need to be transparent in what is being done to keep that um, information protected and also provide avenues to let the, the person whose data it is have access to that ultimately in the long run. I think in the article, you know, they talk a lot about the blockchain when it comes to data sharing and like being a way to create a ledger to see, you know, how is data passing between the different individuals that need to view it. 
I know within our company that we take it really seriously in terms of, you know, the protections we put in place within our cloud system and also after it leaves the cloud, how we're, you know, uh, restricting access and things of that nature. So privacy is definitely going to be number one. And then what the article mentioned with respect to, you know, the algorithms behind this technology are created by humans. And I think that there is to some degree biases or user error when it comes to some of that. Um, it's just going to be one of those challenges that all companies are going to have to keep at the forefront of mind. And I think having interdisciplinary teams or, you know, people from various fields, like diverse voices behind the scenes really goes a long way to overcoming, to some degree, some of those barriers. If you can have diversity in, you know, people's backgrounds and life experiences, then I think that will create a sort of checks and balance system as you move forward with, you know, creating and scaling some of these technologies. Yeah, it's almost like with this technology, any little bias could get like totally amplified by the algorithms. So there, yeah, we'll have to have so many like checks for that. Well, and when you think about, you know, health, you know, the health industry, there are a lot of biases baked into the system itself. And so if we're, you know, transitioning that into a new space, in a way, you know, what are we inherently taking with us with regards to that bias by nature of, you know, the types of data we're trying to extract, but also this could be an opportunity to overcome some of that bias that's baked into the system because now we're creating a new avenue and vehicle to promote health and that information. So, it, you know, there's things that come with it, but there's also opportunities that come with it too, which is Yeah, good. yeah. Which reminds me of like when I first started my first job in a nursing home, I remember being like a little taken aback and a little overwhelmed by like, thinking, I have so many ethical decisions to make each day. Like how many minutes do people get? At the time I was doing rug levels, which was kind of a system that was used unethically. So it's not like having to put our ethical hat on is new territory for us as OTs. It's just that we're going to have to be thinking about it in a different way. And around the globe, we're going to have to be thinking about ethics in a more refined way. Yeah, 100%. This article mentioned so many different technologies and their possible applications. Um, I kind of went through those during our intro. Like you said, we could have whole podcasts dedicated to each area, and I'm sure each of those areas will continue to grow and have their own research backing. But I'm curious, just again, from where you're at, where your mind's in this, What technologies are you just personally excited for right now? What's kind of capturing your attention in this world? There are so many, but something that really stuck out to me more recently was smart clothes and integrated activewear. I think it just kind of blows my mind, the idea of wearable technology in its fullest sense being the clothes that you put on. Um, you know, often these this type of tech has sensors embedded into the clothing fabric and it can track movement quality, performance, give you feedback. I just think that is exciting to, again, empower the person to get more information about how they move, what, you know, the quality of that movement. And I think as clinicians, not only would give us more support when it comes to like therapeutic exercise, but I think just in terms of gross motor movement, 
relearning, you know, with me coming from inpatient rehab and um, stroke rehab, you know, if someone's garment that they wear could help give them feedback and improve the movement of an upper extremity, that's pretty mind blowing to me. So I'm super excited about where that could go. (laughs) And then another one that I'm really excited for is any kind of wearable cognitive assistance. I think a lot of times wearable tech gets relegated to like physical, physiological things, but I definitely think that there can be a use case for getting into the cognitive field and could be a huge impact for mitigating cognitive decline or even just, you know, supporting cognitive strategies for anyone who might be having age-related decline, perhaps a traumatic brain injury. I mean, I'm really excited to see where that field goes. Well, I haven't thought about the cognitive assist, but right when you said that, I thought about like something that scans for safety and yeah, there's so many possibilities there. And just yesterday I watched the announcement of the Apple Vision Pro that has this augmented reality. And we've talked about that previously on the podcast too. And the possibilities there feel endless, really exciting. And I'm someone that I'm like, give me all the tech. I want to wear the <laughs> wear the smart clothes and know what my posture is like. I want the assist all the time. Yeah. yeah. Share my data so I can know where I'm at and like the averages. <laughs> To ignite my competitive side. <laughs> Same here. I'm a data data driven girl, so I mean, give me everything so I can like just maximize my own life. <laughs> yeah, yes, me too. When I think about occupational therapy in this realm, I'm curious what opportunities stand out to you for us. I think hard to wrap our minds around what the opportunities will be in the long term, but what are some of the short-term opportunities that you see for us on the horizon? You know, I, I think that's a good question because a lot of this new landscape is unknown and there's a lot of things coming down in the long term, but that doesn't mean that it's not relevant to us as OTs right now. You know, the first thing that sticks out in my mind is just in your traditional OT practice, being able to integrate, you know, any new technology tools or things that are already in the market and, you know, thinking about it for how can you use it to inform your own decisions for your client's care. Maybe that might also mean within your workspace, if there is a new device out there that you feel like could be a benefit to your clients, advocating, you know, within your team to get to trial that and reaching out to those companies to see if you can have access to it. Because I know a lot of them are seeking partners to help utilize it and really test its effectiveness. And then for your clients, you know, I think whatever is existing out there or, you know, technologies that your clients might already be kind of using, but just not maximizing. I think of fitness watches, Apple watches, you know, that's a pretty easy gateway into artificial intelligence and wearables. If your client already has one of those, then maybe again, rethinking, how can we use that to our advantage? You know, training them on how to interpret the heart rate, you know, the pulse oximetry or other features that come with those to, again, allow them to be more active participants in that self-management process. And then finally, and kind of like an industry level, I think research is huge. Contributing to research, if you are able to, to test out these devices and maybe compare them to more traditional modes of 
self-management or whatever topic it is that you're choosing, looking in the tech industry to fill those roles that are out there to help bridge the gap between the health industry, the tech field. I think there are a lot of opportunities for OTs in that regard. Yeah, I was just thinking about how in the eval process, so often we're asking about like, how many stairs do you have? Thinking about the physical environment is very top of mind, I think, in a lot of our evals. But I can see probably right now we also need to be adding in what health tech are you using and how can we be leveraging that in our treatment. I'm curious about this paradigm shift around assessment too for people who are in a more traditional practice area where so often in our current practice, we're like doing the assessment real time, but this opens up this possibility to be looking at this data that's been collected in the home environment, like you're doing at Sensi. You're not going in and doing an assessment. You're just looking at this data that's been gathered real time. Is that the direction we're heading in assessment? I'm definitely just thinking out loud right here. And I don't know, how is this going to change our assessment part? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty like awesome question. And I don't know if I have the right answer, but I mean, I definitely do think that we will have to evolve our process. And I think there's a still a role for both. I think maybe being able to look at information over time I believe gives you a more holistic picture of like what that person's experiencing, but you still need to ask those in the moment questions too, you know, to have, I think, a meaningful dialogue about, okay, this is what I'm seeing holistically. This is what we're talking about in the moment. You know, let me, let's paint the big picture. But I, I definitely can see our process evolving as we get more access to learning about an individual over a span of time, not just in this one moment we're having the conversation. Hmm. The other thing I keep thinking about is the role of referring to an individual therapist if a wearable like detects an issue. Like in Sensi, that's kind of baked in because you're partnered with the home agencies. But for like your Apple Watch or your Whoop, like is there a place for individual therapists that like specialize in leveraging that data? Like something like have a low HRV on your whoop. I'm an OT that specializes in that. Like, will there be specialty practices like that? I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud again. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a space for everything in my mind. So I definitely could see that, you know, coming to fruition that, you know, you have this specific targeted issue and let's now match you with someone who addresses that. And coming, kind of coming back to your point of the assessment too, I think when you're able to get data over time, it allows you to be more focused and targeted in the moment. So within your intake and eval, maybe now the questions you're asking are more specific based on the information you've collected. And like in this case, if you're having a specific issue, instead of sending you somewhere where we're going to now have to go through this whole process of finding the specific issue, we know what it is. Let's just match you with the person that can help you handle it, save you time, effort, and potentially money in the long run. I think you're getting to what really stood out to me in this article is just like how inefficient our current healthcare 
like encounters typically are where I go see my doctor and nine tenths of the time is them just assessing me. And then a tiny sliver is spent on like, okay, let's do this. And we do that in our OT evals too, where we're just trying to get caught up and oriented to where the person is. And this is ushering a reality where we can have that data as we walk into the room and be so much more targeted in the questions we do ask and then spend more time on the treatment aspects of it. That's really exciting and something I'm going to have to chew on because it is such a big fundamental (laughs) shift in how we think about things. (laughs) You talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I wanted to really dig into this part a little bit. If someone is listening and they're like, yes, I want my work to be in this AI realm, what do they do? Like, do you look for individual companies like you did? What are what are your practical tips? I think I'm talking to you and I'm like, oh, Sarah's like me. How did she end up with this really cool job? Like, what's, what's the steps that we could take to find these opportunities? I'd say it comes in two ways. One, just researching what's out there. If there's like a specific form of technology or maybe population that you're interested in working with, then just kind of trying to, you know, type into Google or LinkedIn and find out what companies are filling that space right now. And I think that can be like your first line of defense to knowing A, what's out there, what positions do they either have open currently or have had in the past to help guide your search terms in terms of you know, those roles that are that are offered. But the other thing is networking. I think you, you know, people will be surprised to know that you might have a connection to someone working in one of these spaces or adjacent to one of these spaces that can really help get your foot in the door and just to learn more about these roles and what might come with them. So, you know, you don't know what's out there until you dive in. And I just say dive in, search, play around with it and find out, you know, the different companies that are out there. The other thing I'll add is, you know, it doesn't happen overnight making the jump from where you're currently at to then entering this new field. So I think while you're researching and gathering the information, something that, you know, clinicians can start doing within their current workspace is, you know, again, what's readily accessible and available to you when it comes to new tech and and AI and can you start integrating that into your practice or advocating for its use within your current workspace, because that will get you more exposure and allow you to speak to that more when it comes down the line of job applications or, you know, talking to others within that industry. Yeah, I would think that would make you stand out as an applicant for sure, which makes me curious when you applied, was it really competitive or did you have a sense of how competitive the position you applied for was or was it like, oh, Not that many OTs are thinking this way. (laughs) You're one of our few (laughs) applicants. What's the, what was just your sense of the competitiveness for positions like yours? I do think it's fairly competitive because again, you know, a lot of these roles have a space for a clinician, but also you don't have to be a clinician per se to fill that, that role, you know, so you're kind of in some cases up against the other clinicians who see this and and want to enter that space too, but then those who are coming from within the industry and uh, see a space, you know, a a possibility for them to be in that as well. So I think to stand out is the key. And I think because occupational therapy 
doesn't come with as many barriers for, you know, the narrow box that what we think an OT is. Not many people know what OT is. So I think we are actually in a better position to stand out because we can, you know, really show a potential employer how our skill set translates well to that. Whereas if you're coming from another industry or another clinical industry, there might be a really narrow view of what that person does and what space they can occupy. Yeah. I love connecting that to the beginning of your story where there was this holisticness that drew you into the field and drew many of us into the field. And I think our employers will see that too. And I definitely think of being an OT as being an asset for going after these positions. And I think OTs can go into that with confidence. So I'm thinking big picture for our profession overall. I heard this interesting quote yesterday where the speaker said, it's not AI that's going to take your job. It's someone that knows AI that's going to take your job. And I was thinking about that for OT, like how do we become more up to date, more integrated with these technologies? How do we need to change just as a profession for this new paradigm? Yeah, you know, it's changing so quickly. And I feel like it's one of those areas where if we don't evolve our, our practice and our education, then, you know, we, we don't want to be left in the dust. I think at the beginning, if we can ensure that OT curriculum for those up and coming practitioners evolves to include, you know, educating students on emerging health technologies, kind of sharing the knowledge on these trends and also highlighting new career opportunities that OTs have. I think that's going to be crucial to just making sure that the future generations continue to, you know, push for our inclusion in this field and with these technologies. Also, I think engagement and research will help us, you know, put the technology to the test and really evolve our practice methods and best practice recommendations to perhaps having the use of wearables and including artificial intelligence as one of the best practices for combating chronic disease management or, you know, other issues that we might be treating with our clients and patients. And then the third thing I would say is just for current clinicians embracing the technology. I think that there can be a fear again about what is this technology doing? Is it going to replace me? You know, I think being open-minded into looking at it as another tool in the toolbox will go a long way to ensuring that we stay up with the new evolution of opportunities within health and will ultimately, again, I think improve the optimization of the care that we provide our clients and patients because we're using it to be better targeted and kind of cut to the chase to get the most impact for those we service. Yeah, that answer is making me think about just your individual answer of transitioning into health tech where a lot of the foundation is the same, but what we layer on top of that will have to evolve. And I'm even thinking about I mentioned this already, but like my own OT education where we learned about OT with for groups and with organizations, but I don't remember hearing a story of an OT that 
actually was doing that. It all felt very like abstract and hypothetical to me. So being able to hear stories like yours, I think will be incredibly helpful. And then just collecting stories like that moving forward as our world changes, like we can keep layering those stories on top of our core foundations. I 100% agree. And it made me actually think about um, when I was first getting my start in inpatient rehab, we had an occupational therapist who was working in the robotics industry come to my clinic and she was talking about her work in the field. And it was the first time I'd really been exposed to someone working in a very non-traditional space. Her team on, that she was working with were engineers and you know more technically minded individuals. She was the only clinician on that team. And it really just was an aha moment to know that, wow, like there are these other ways that you can inject OT and, and enact your practice that just might not always be in these traditional spaces that we're talked about over and over again. So I, I completely agree. Visibility is huge because you don't, you can't envision yourself occupying a space if you don't know that that's possible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And thinking of there being different kind of standard trajectories for OTs. Like, yes, a lot of us will work with individuals, but in the future, a lot of us will work in health tech. And that's number is growing already. And hopefully those people who are in like health tech still think of themselves as OTs and still share those stories with us. I think that's fun to think about OT expanding in that way. We're getting close to the end of our time. And usually at this time I do rapid fire, but I really, with this topic, I really wanted to hear from you. How is thinking about this new healthcare paradigm of wearables, AI, all this data, how is that just making you think differently about your own health in general? I think there's so many implications for our clients, but there's a lot of implications just for us as individuals. Like, how has being in this world shifted your thinking about your own health? Well, I will say that just as, as a whole, I've been looking at health a bit differently since starting with Sensi and working in the health tech field. But really reading this article on self-management, self-management made me think of how am I managing my own health and how could I be doing a better job? <laughs> I think like the best example is I wear my like Apple watch every day. It gives me feedback on my sleep. It gives me feedback when I do my exercise. It gives me feedback on so many things and I'm not really using it. And I could, you know, I wake up in the morning, I'm a new mother, I'm tired. My watch is telling me you only got so much sleep, but like, what does that really mean? And can there be changes that I can make and then see as a you know result from this data that might help me feel more energized in the day, might help me have more intention with what I do. So yeah, it's really causing me to self-reflect and look at the spaces in my life where I have data on myself that I'm underutilizing and rethink how I can use that to make more meaningful actions for me that might support me in my day-to-day. I think one of the blessings of being an OT is getting to OT ourselves, and we can almost be the front runners for ourselves using this data. And I think as we do that, I think so many ideas will spark for us about how to help our clients. So I think that's, yeah, an exciting future where 
essentially we're all learning together. We're learning alongside our clients because we're all encountering this data in real time together. We're kind of all learners. I think though that's kind of nice because it demystifies it a little bit. I think there is, you know, we talk about health literacy a lot. I think that health tech literacy is a thing. And if we can, you know, inform ourselves, but also not be afraid to like be open with our clients that like we're learning together and we're going to figure out how we can really meld this technology with your daily life. I mean, that makes it more real. And I think that makes the barrier to entry a little lower for our clients being more receptive to do that because they're going on the journey with us. Sarah, this has been such a fun conversation, really inspiring thinking about the future. We've talked about so many parts of this new paradigm and OT's role in it. What's like the final closing thought you want to end us on? My closing thoughts would just be uh, sky's the limit and to really open your mind to the new avenues that we can take OT and how we're really in this position to be trailblazers in OT within tech and this new industry for us, that it's just super exciting to be a part of that. And I want as many OTs as I can to join me if, if that's kind of where they see their, their career shifting. Well, Sarah, like I said, this is an inspiring topic, but I'm especially inspired by your story, that you're willing to share it with us. And I do think that hearing stories is part of how we move forward. So thank you so much for being here today and the work you're doing and your willingness to share. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. Super happy to be here. Wow, you all, this episode really felt like a glimpse into the future. Not only did we get to hear about the exciting technologies that are coming available for our patients, but Sarah's story just really embodies what OT's role can look like in this new paradigm. If you are listening to this podcast and you have a health tech role like Sarah, I definitely want to encourage you to join our OT directory. Sarah and I are both on there as health tech OTs. And I just think this is a powerful way for people to see the different career paths that are available to occupational therapy professionals. This is also a tool that you can use to begin your own networking journey. I also want to remind you that if you are interested in earning a certificate for your time today, what you are going to do next is head to otpotential.com and sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club. It is currently only $89 to access our courses and the many resources in the club, including the ability to join that OT directory that I just mentioned. So if you are not a member, I definitely encourage you to join us in there. And as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.